actually only in later life realised that like a lot of the prayers that I learned were just through sound rather than through words. So like I would melt the beginning of one word with the end of the other because I didn't I couldn't figure out that those were different words. And I was just learning by sound. So it's really strange. Um and so it was like a very like it was a very self-aware process for me to learn to speak. Hello, I'm Eva Krusiak and this is What We Talk About When We Talk About Talk, the podcast on all things oracy from School 21. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Is it what do you think is the cut-off point for that? Because now... Um, it's not quite March, so I think you're safe. It was 26th of February. Almost two months in. You can't really, can you? No, not really. But it actually is technically, if you know, we haven't, if you haven't spoken to somebody, yeah, since you, January, you the still first. wouldn't say Happy New Year. At what point? What's the cutoff then? So the Christmas tree you take away at what seven days after or something, seventh of January. It's like the first round of. I guess you're right. If you haven't seen something in ages, I reckon it's like the tenth of Feb, Jan. Jan, yeah. Yeah, then you're done. And then it's just no longer. It's just. Right. There's been multiple events. There's been Valentine's Day. There's been all sorts. You can't so, yeah. still be going on the new year. Yeah, true. Okay, well, it is a happy new year. It is to, happy new year. To anyone who actually listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> to Which the... just shows how long it's been. Um, so apologies for not putting one of these out. Um, as, as I'm sure if anyone, a teacher, knows that it's been hectic and busy and lots of things going on. But one of our... I suppose you could call it a New Year's resolution, is yeah. a commitment to be a bit more regular with releasing these podcasts. We'll try. So, Amy, what's what's been happening? Yeah, as we said, it's been really busy. So we've been planning our great Oracy exhibition, as we've mentioned before, I think, on the podcast. Um, so that's really... What's it? Full speed ahead? That's full speed ahead. Full speed ahead. The greatest... Oris experience. The greatest and only. The world's greatest. <laughs> the world's best Oris the exhibition. Um, and it's looking amazing. Those people coming already. Mm. Um, loads of amazing sessions, lots of student outcomes. So No, on a serious note, I think it's important that last year was very much people coming in to School 21 and us sort of saying, this is how we do Oris. Mm-hmm. But actually there's so many different external teachers and students coming along which aren't just participating but they're actually presenting and delivering sessions so we've broadened the conversation out this is a spectrum across the nation of what is happening in oracy um, in lots of different contexts so I think that's really important yeah I noticed that as well actually I had my oracy leaders program earlier this term we had two days where people across the nation came down oracy leaders from all over um, and we were here in School who, who, 21. Who runs that, obviously? Voice 21. Um, and we were here in School 21 for the first day, which was great, but obviously I know this context quite well. And then we were at Torriano in Camden on the second day. And it was actually amazing to see how they started with Voice 21 and probably some similar structures to School 21 and how they kind of run with that and changed it. So it just shows that as Oracy spreads, it's evolving and it's great to share that practice with everyone, which is why the Great Oracy Exhibition should be so fab. So, today, really exciting, um, we interviewed Eva Krisiak, who is a really interesting lady. 
She originally from Poland, but then she moved over as a young child and grew up in Manchester. She has worked as a podcast producer um, for BBC and The Guardian and various other organisations. But more recently, she started up a podcast called Everyone Else, which is just uh, her opening up uh, to other people and other people telling their own stories. But the unique thing about it is they uh, it's accompanied with photographs. Nice. Portrait like photographs. That. So they have a photographer that goes along when she interviews and they take a load of photographs. So the kind of audio and visual element are presented alongside each other. And, and, and she's won a load of award recently. So, you know, it was really just tapping her up for some advice. Yeah, <laughs> we probably need it. <laughs> and some audience, no jokes. But also, you know, she's got an interesting background in terms of language because she came over, you know, she's been through the uh, British school system starting from a point of not being able to speak a word of English. So of it's quite interesting to get her thoughts on that and how that actually has impacted on her wanting to tell audio and visual stories later on in life. Mm-hmm. So the links between uh, her relationship with language and what she's now doing. Sounds good. Sounds good, eh? Yeah. Let's have a listen. It's, it's definitely recording, isn't it? Yeah, That's what I always is. panic about. Okay, I can just do that now. Is that right? Will it still record? No, I would, I would, I would keep it up because okay. then you know whether it stops. Fine. Good tip. Yeah. <laughs> Check it's still recording. Uh, okay, so one of the first questions I always ask people is, what do you remember about using your voice at school? Oh, that's a really good question because when I started school, I didn't really speak English, so I would. And I went to a Catholic school, so there was a lot of praying involved. And I just didn't know what was going on. You know, like people were just saying stuff together. And it was really freaky. Um, and so I realised that I just had to make the same sounds as people. And I actually, only in later life, realised that like a lot of the prayers that I learned were just through sound rather than through words. So like I would melt the beginning of one word with the end of the other because I didn't I couldn't figure out that those were different words. And I was just learning by sound. So it's really strange. Um, and so it was like a very, like, it was a very self-aware process for me to learn to speak because I was just constantly sort of repeating and then sort of writing things down in order to familiarise myself with the language that I didn't really know. And it was just like, it was just a really, like, I was constantly on my guard because I was constantly having to figure things out, you know, and and my mum was always sort of kind of impressing that on me, that I should always be listening and always reacting and learning. And so whilst everyone else was sort of running around and, I don't know, you know, drawing and stuff, I was just, like, absorbing like a sponge, you know? And so it was a really, like, aware process for me to learn to speak and to understand words. And during that phase of your life then, what, where did you feel your voice was most valued? I think I didn't think it was valued, I think, because uh, I think I had the sense that I was starting everything like on, off the back foot because I was behind and I didn't know anything. And my mum always impressed on me, as I said, that, you know, like everyone's probably going to know better than you at this stage. And so... I always sort of, I felt like, you know, I was second in line or last in line in terms of knowledge and understanding, I think. So I don't think I had anything worthwhile to share. I was the one that had to learn from other people. 
But there's no space where you felt like you had a voice as a young person. I mean, I did drama lessons, and that was fun because that was sort of, sort of neutralised stuff because you got to say stuff and you got to be, I guess, good at something, but it wasn't your words. So you could just sort of interpret and be good at it without being scared that you were going to mess up, really. So I enjoyed that. Um, oh God, this is really like therapy. I think I think I just... Honestly, I think I spent the whole of my childhood feeling like I had to get better at everything and, and that I, what, what I had to say wasn't going to be as good as what other people had to say. So, podcast... Mm-hmm. everyone else mm-hmm. it's really good um, I wanted to ask about so it says she, talking about you she gets into trouble for being too inquisitive about people so my question is what's the most trouble you, a question has ever got you into um, I mean there's a lot <laughs> to pick from um, I mean never anything you know, absolutely terrible, but I do get told a lot that I'm far too forward in terms of asking questions, but I always think, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, terrible things could happen, you know, if somebody's got a very bad temper or they're aggressive, but most of the time you're in a formal situation where it won't be allowed, <laughs> so yeah. all they can do is say I'm not going to answer that, but it's really, like, the, the more questions you ask you're only going to get better results, right? And then what, what, why not take the risk, you know? If you ask that difficult questions, you might get some really amazing answers. And I'm, I always am intrigued when I see my colleagues interviewing someone, how polite they are. And I think I am polite, but I also just, like, I, just, I will just ask all the questions, like, if, you know, even about sensitive things. You, you just phrase it a certain way, and you pepper it with your own experiences and if you share with someone someone's more likely to share with you and how much do you think about you've already alluded to it but that kind of how you are crafting different types and styles of questioning Mm. how much of a process is that for you um yeah i think it's really key um when you go into a room with someone you kind of have to gauge them quite quickly and you have to find a way of speaking to them that makes you sort of be on their level, however that might be. So, I don't know, I think you've just got to come at everyone with an open mind and if somebody likes to be flattered, you flatter them. If somebody's very sort of enclosed, um, maybe you open up more, you know. Um, And, yeah, it's just, you, you really have to gauge how somebody's going to react to your questions and, and the more you talk to them, the, the more you basically manipulate them. Agreed. <laughs> but but I know it's interesting because what you're saying is kind of all these, you're describing things which seemingly are instinctive, implicit <clears throat> things. You just go into a room and gauge somebody. Mm. But what I think Oracy is really good at is bringing that to the surface and actually giving a language and a lens through which to break that process down. Mm. Um, but yeah, because I, I... But I think then the only way to um, improve or learn about that is just to talk to loads of different people. Mm. 
I talk to everyone. Like, you know, in my shop, my local shop, I always talk to the person behind the counter or I talk to the person next to me or I talk to the person on the bus or I stop and chat with someone who's having a cigarette outside. Not because I'm bored or lonely. I mean, I'm not like just like looking for conversations, but if somebody, you know, says something to me or, you know, or I'm bored and I'll wait, I'm waiting for the bus or something, I'll probably start talking to someone because you never know where that conversation's going to take you. And the more you talk to different people of different perspectives and different backgrounds and different walks of life, the more prepared you are to have conversations when you really need to have them. So yeah, not having an, a means to communicate verbally meant that I observed a lot. And through observation that made me curious because it's almost like putting a puzzle together, you know, looking at someone and looking at the way they react to things or their body language or their, you know, demeanour. And then once you start to pick up the language aspect, it's almost like that gets like the paint thrown at like a black and white picture. Um, and so it's a real sort of reward to be able to understand people um, and then figure it out really through conversation. Um, and then I think that sort of started to translate um, as I became older. Um, I just really liked looking at people in the street and just being like, where are you from? Like, like and there's these two women that I always see um, around my neighbourhood and they're like, they, I think they're pretty much best friends. <laughs> and they, they both wear fur right. and they're like, they smoke loads of cigarettes and their like, skin is just like yeah. crumpled tissue. Sounds like Pat Butcher. Exactly <laughs> like that. They've got so much foundation on their skin and they've got these two little dogs and they just like, they are so happy together. And I'm just like, I just really want to know how you met. And can you tell me like the time you most got into trouble together? And like, what do you do on a Saturday night? I just want to know, not even like deep and meaningful stuff, but it's just really nice to see, you know, people being themselves and then trying to like understand them. I just get real joy in that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's an attempt to understand people really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so your, your podcast, it, asks people to tell their story. Mm. What I'm interested in is how much, uh, or what position do you take on the narrative? So you've obviously got to put together the piece. So you're storytelling, but you're telling somebody else's story. So what's the relationship to those things? That's a question that I don't often get asked, but I like it because it's kind of like the background question, isn't it? It's the story behind the story, as you say. Um, I am, it's something that I'm really conscious of because I, as the person who's editing it, I have actual full control over what is put out there and a lot of people just listen to the stories and see them as that, but I could have just totally switched everything around and added a bit of music that really made you feel emotive about this bit when actually somebody was just like very, you know, pan uh, sort of... Um, not very sensitive about that certain bit of the story. Um, but yeah, I try to keep it as true to the narrative as it really is. So I try not to, to move things around too much and I try not to sensationalise anything. Um, that said, a lot of people are very bad talkers and they they don't finish sentences, so that's really bad in radio. 
if you never finish a sentence then and then you go on you just can't you can't finish that bit of the story you just have to cut it out it's really frustrating um so you, there is an element of tweaking and sort of uh molding it to to become an a piece that you can present to someone um there are times when a story is told and there's no ending that's really difficult the ending is always the most difficult part and so you have to uh, in some ways come prepared to ask sort of a finalizing question and that might be like how do you feel about it all or you know looking back on it now how does how does it seem now in retrospect um so you do have to sort of craft things a bit more than you might like to but you i don't know like i listen to some stuff and you it's just so like manipulated and you can tell that it's all about sort of the effect that the story has rather than the story itself and for me um the reason why i wanted to make everyone else as it was which is in a first person narrative without any commentary and without any kind of input from me it was because i just wanted the stories to be sort of as genuine and original as they could be um despite the fact that i have to have a hand in making them <laughs> there's a good phrase which i'm trying to practice myself at the moment so like, how do you leave people with what you said and not how you said it so that, i suppose links a bit to the way you produce the podcast yeah you want to leave people with what the person is saying not exactly. how you exactly yeah i think it's just um presenting something in a way that leaves people feeling open to mulling it over themselves rather than just being you know talked at what about the visual element why is that important to you to create to create like this visual side to the story on a audio medium um because i think it's fun to see the people that are talking and then um from a different perspective i also think it's quite important sometimes you know a lot of the stories that are out on the podcast um i guess are there to make us understand other people's experiences and backgrounds a bit more and i think we are in a time where people are quite judgmental of other people and maybe they won't talk to someone because they look a certain way or they wear a hijab or you know they have a different color skin to them um and i think primarily people are going to come at the podcast for the audio um and so i think they'll they'll probably listen to it first and then maybe they'll be curious enough to go and have a look at the photo and maybe they'll be surprised that 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 kind of person you know could have that kind of story and that they could empathize with them or sympathize or maybe understand somebody a little bit more when maybe that's not their kind of instinct it is empathy isn't it that's kind of it and i like this the um the project looks to humanize strangers and make us more open to and curious about the people we do not know those who look different or that are living different lives much different from our own mm. um Oh yeah, my personal take and probably a lot of others is that schools top of schools priority should be to create environments that nurture empathy and that should be the absolute top level priority. Mm-hmm. But how do you how do you do that? How well, can you teach empathy? Well, I think it's really great that you guys are doing this. This is the first time I've ever 
heard of a school to, that, that has got communication on a curriculum. And I think you're totally right. Why are we only going into our adult lives, you know, with mathematics and, you know, I don't know, just very, it's almost like you're given like physical tools into your hands, but you know, actually our, our, our main tool is us and our body and our mind and everything that's trapped inside and all of those crazy chemicals that make us into, you know, one major like tool, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think having conversations about having conversations is really important. Yeah, reflection. So the three key elements of oracy are expectations of, of how to talk in a context then intentionality of the talk, so structure, shared language, etc. But then the key one for me is reflection, so talking about the talk. Mm. Basically having conversations about how we have conversations. That's so cool. The last thing I want to ask you about the podcast is something on your website says about the, the, the photos, they seek to capture something permanent in strangers. Mm. I just wanted to kind of get you to elaborate on what the permanency is that you're wanting to capture because personally I actually don't like that idea of photographs capturing something permanent. I actually don't like photographs in general. I'm kind of against photos. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it links to the... Because I, re I love theatre and the reason I love theatre is the liveness of it and the fact that it's a conversation between audience and, and story which is live and will never be captured in a permanent state. Yeah, I, I agree and I do like that as well, but what I meant by the permanency of the photo was that moment in time and how everything is transient and everything is constantly shifting and changing as soon as it's out there, right? Um, and, for example, one of, one of my interviewees that I recorded with, he was speaking about a decision that he had to make in terms of medical treatment he was going to get for cancer. And one of his options was to just use all of the family's savings to have this very expensive medical treatment that might work, and then the, but would leave them bankrupt. And then the other was um, to have... Set up a meth lab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, um, to have surgery that would basically really change the quality of his life. Um, so it was a really difficult decision um, and I didn't put that story out for a long time and then when I did put it out and he listened to it he was just like amazed at how he sounded and he'd actually gone for the uh, operation uh, option and he was actually quite happy but he said he sounded so like such a broken person in that moment um, and he just said he didn't recognise himself at all and I think it's something about that, that, like, this is a moment and you should maybe remember it and this is a state that you are in and actually it's good to see it because then you know that things do change tangible at that moment in time, but also it only um, underscores that everything sh shifts and changes as well. What was your favourite subject at school? My favourite subject at school was English. I, like, I just liked getting lost in stories and, as I said before, just building worlds, which is, I guess, what I do now, but through sound. Um, I think I don't, I don't, I'm not as confident in my words as I used to be, you know, with 
in school you're just so sort of well practiced and and flexible with your language and dexterous in terms of your expression and as you get older and you're forced less and less to put, put pen to paper the less good you become at it I think and um yeah expression for me now is through audio well you kind of narrow the circles by which you are expressing yourself right yeah so at school you're forced into lots of different diverse circles which you have to kind of compare yourself and your expressions to whereas as you go older you purposefully yeah you make a choice and then you're like this is where I feel comfortable and what about favorite teacher and why my favorite teacher was Mrs Wilkinson she was my Latin teacher and initially I hated her and she hated me um, because she thought I was unruly and disinterested and I thought she was just really old <laughs> and, you know, that we had nothing in common but she actually loved Latin and I loved Latin and um, she quickly sort of gauged that I responded to stories more and she really put in an effort to teach me in a way that resonated with me and I really really appreciated that because it's so nice to sort of be seen in that way and for somebody to make so much effort for you and uh, she just has like galvanized my love for Latin. <laughs> Big job. Um, <laughs> so so going back to that, how, were you recognizing that at the time or is that some, that the sense that she was adapting her teaching to your way of learning were you yeah. recognizing that in the moment or is that something you've reflected on it's something that i've reflected on but it's also i was aware of it immediately just because we were so at odds with each other for the first in you know few months and then it's almost like something clicked or maybe we had an altercation or something but she really changed her methods and it was so generous of her to do that especially after we'd got off to such a bad start and so I saw it and I just thought, mm. you're great. What piece of advice would you give your former teachers knowing what you know now? I think, I think, I'm sure you guys already do this, but it's so important to see people as individuals and no matter what kind of front that they put on, there's something underneath that, you know, and you just have to figure, it is like doing an interview, right? You have to pick it apart and understand what is actually going on underneath and finding a way of speaking to people on a level that will make them feel understood. Um, and I guess just like not giving up, I guess, you know? Okay, good. I mean, I found it. I, I find it particularly interesting her insights into. You got a real sense of what a student at a very young age is like for them just to be thrown into a classroom and literally not be able to speak English at all. Yeah, absolutely. As like a year one teacher in Stratford, the demographic of my classroom has loads of students with English as an additional language, and I can imagine how difficult it must be for them, especially as an oracy rich school that. Hopefully it's beneficial to be surrounded by language all the time, but also probably super overwhelming. Yeah. So I think it's good to be mindful of that and to think about how RSC can be really structured for those children who might need a bit more support. Yeah, good. So I have a quote. This this time it's going a bit old school. It's it's by a, a very famous American poet called Walt, Walt Whitman. Okay, so here we go. Oh, what it is in me that makes me tremble so at voices 
Surely whoever speaks to me in the right voice, him or her, I shall follow, as the water follows the moon silently with fluid steps anywhere around the globe. Beautifully said. <laughs> I'm classically trained actor. Yeah, I can tell. um okay you have a recommendation for us i have a recommendation so this is a ted talk that we all listen to actually it's called how to disagree productively and find common ground by julia dart it's really interesting insight into how we disagree with others how we set up those conversations and how we speak to each other so that essentially you can have a disagreement and it's not explosive which i guess links to that quote about the way and tone in which you speak to someone is really important. That's how you get people to follow you. Mm. You can't just demand it. So very, very good. And we've been doing a CPD module together, haven't we? We have, All yeah. All about civil disagreement and using the Oracy framework to try and find ways and strategies for teachers to open up effective disagreement in their classrooms with other teachers, with students, between students. Yeah, and it's been quite interesting. I think. It's been very interesting. Okay, on that note, take care. Take care.